trying to clear my mind and think simple. The best entrepreneurs have like a really simple process and they think so clearly. That's something that you might want to think of too. Hey, if someone wants to pay you for guitar lessons, you just got paid to learn a new skill. I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists looking for in-depth, career-accelerating conversations about all that's neat for clarinet. On today's show, I'm joined by John Burra, CEO of Mammoth Interactive, a digital learning and software company. John is a university-trained musician turned millionaire who holds a degree in composition and is also a skilled saxophonist and an amazing guitarist. We discuss why he chose to pivot out of music during the 2008 financial crisis, why he believes musical training makes you super employable in the industry, why it's okay to pivot out of music and back if you want, and how John used his musical skill set to found his own company and sell over 1.5 million courses on Udemy, raise multiple millions on Kickstarter, and more. This is a special episode for me because I actually went to school with John Burra and I remember a lot of what he's talking about, the strife back then with the financial situation of the world, some of his first compositional CDs which he was releasing, and a whole lot more. So it's been super fun to track his journey along the way and uh, I got to give kind of a tip of the hat to John because he was one of the early people when I first started this podcast who said, hey, I think that's a great idea and it kind of pushed me to to keep it going way back in 2015. So thank you so much, John, for uh, coming on the podcast today and I do hope that you'll come back for more conversations in the future. This was really fun to have you on. If you'd like to check out some of John's coding courses, head to clarinet.com offers for a link to Mammoth Interactive's website that will also help support the production of the podcast at the same time. Be sure to subscribe to Clarinet wherever you get your podcasts, tell your musical friends, students, and colleagues about the show, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, no ad today. This episode's kind of a long story, but it's sort of in limbo. It was recorded back in December 2022, and uh, I did intend to record this as a video podcast to be the first of our new video series, but the video didn't work. So we have audio only today, which is too bad, but it's the way it goes. (laughs) Um, But also there's no sponsor on today's episode besides the the current Patreon support, of course, and those who help out on the Clarinet website. Um, We're between sponsors on the podcast. I do have a new sponsor lined up for the upcoming video series, which I'll tell you about in a second. They're Bovida, who make those great humidifier packs, which you've probably seen and used before. So I'll tell you all about that on the first video episode, like I said. Um, But let's just a quick little bit of backstory here. I won't take too much of your time, but where did I go the last six months? Well, I did plan to take a short break to reimagine the podcast as a video format, like I said, um, but I was thinking a couple of weeks or so, and it ended up turning into just months and months because I became very sick, actually, and was in the hospital. I've been on some crazy stuff. I won't tell you all about it, but it's not been fun. Um, so I was very ill from about oh, late February to really May and still recovering, but I, I am on the mend. Um, I want to thank an anonymous donor for getting us through some of the times in the podcast and supporting um, the the behind the scenes, um, you know, costs for a few months there. That was really, really valuable, but they don't want to be named, which is fine. I respect that, um, but very much appreciated. But uh, going forward, I also did that survey. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but I think it was around November or December, a, a Clarinet listener survey. And this gave me some very interesting insight into what everyone wants. And it seems very, very much that people want video. And they would also love to be getting involved with the interviews. So I'm excited going forward after today's episode. The next episode will be with Sean Osborne. And it will be the first of a new series called Clarinet Live. Now, Clarinet Live has two parts, really three maybe. The first part is an interview. The second is a listener questions portion, 
And uh, you'll be able to tune in actually live to watch the interviews with a paid membership at clarinet.com slash live and ask listener questions of the guests if you do tune in and, and you're there. Um, the only catch is you have to use Google Chrome and be on a computer. You can't like use your phone if you want to tune in and call in like that. But uh, anyway, the third thing is that these live interviews after they're edited and ready will then be available in full on YouTube for everyone to enjoy. So there's no more kind of gated content as far as the lightning round goes. Everyone's going to get access to the full episode, which is really great. But that is only going to be possible if we do get a fair bit of, uh, you know, listener support behind the scenes there. So this is going to be honestly a lot more expensive and time consuming for me. But the results are amazing. I've been launching some reels so far on social media, you might have seen. I think the first one reached 37,000 people, which for Clarinet episodes has been unprecedented. So I'm really excited to launch this video format. I think there's going to be a lot of interest and watching it, I wish I'd done it sooner. It's so nice to be able to see the reactions of the guests and, you know, uh, back and forth is a lot more interesting when there's video. So um, long story short, I guess I'd love it if you've joined me on the Clarinet Live. That's clarinet.com slash live to subscribe to that. Um, but even just if you want to join me over on YouTube to watch the video versions of the podcast, I understand a lot of people will probably watch them while they're driving and things like that. Um, but hey, if you want to enjoy the full kind of experience on Clarinet now, I think it's going to be shifting mostly to YouTube. So of course, these audio episodes, they'll remain available, but you'll get probably the best experience watching the show on YouTube, which I know is a little bit different from before. So um, anyway, I don't want to go on all day here. There was a lot to cram into this few seconds. Uh, If you do have any questions about what's been going on or feedback or advice or anything like that, you can send me a message at uh, hello at clarineat.com. And I do hope that you enjoy today's episode with John Burra. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time for the first episode of Clarineat Live with Sean Osborne. Just one more quick thing. I realized after listening back to this that I I thanked the anonymous donor, but not the Patreon and uh, past Clarinet Gold supporters who've also stuck around the last six months. This has really, really helped cover the costs of hosting the website and starting to produce the new content. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, Also, I made it sound as if you could tune into the Sean Osborne episode. I should let you know that the uh, I've been advertising them on Facebook and the email list. So if you're not subscribed there and on Instagram, get subscribed. Um, But the Sean Osborne interview is actually ready to go to release. It's been recorded already, along with Tommaso Longquish and also um, one with James Campbell and his son, Graham Campbell. So three fantastic interviews to start off this new series. I've got some more guests lined up. So the future episodes of Clarinet Live, you'll be able to tune into after that. And uh, they'll be starting up again really soon here with Cornell Volak, I think will be the first one coming back. Um, So yeah, head to clarinet.com slash live to check it out and follow on social media channels for the most up-to-date information. Enjoy today's episode with John Burra. So I'm here today with John Burra, who is CEO of Mammoth Interactive, which is an e-learning company. And uh, But he also has a really interesting music background that we're going to talk about. And we have a, a little bit of a history, too. So this is actually really fun to have you on the podcast today, John. Welcome to Clarinet. Oh, thank you very much. I love your podcast. I've listened to a few episodes. They're awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, you're out in, is it Vancouver now or are you in the island? Uh, I'm on Victoria now. So, Victoria, yeah. okay. You started out in Toronto, or you started out in Calgary, I guess, but Toronto, Victoria, you've been all over all over Canada now, which is really great. So not to always go on about the weather, but we're having two feet of snow here today. So I see your bike in the background today, and I imagine you rode to work. Is that true? 
Yes, in the rain, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty uh, <laughs> pretty envious of that, though, I must say. So uh, I got to get out of here someday. The podcast listeners will know I always complain about the weather, but I mean, it's especially bad when there's two feet of snow on the ground, right? It's <laughs> I'm allowed to complain a little bit about that. So anyway, well, let's get into it here. So you have a really incredible uh, career. We started off, uh, you know, in university together um, in music. I'd love to hear your story of kind of music and how you pivoted into the software, or sorry, not software. Um, yeah, software. You did Xbox games for a while, but now e-learning and so much stuff. For listeners, you've sold, I think, is it 800,000 or a million courses now? It's actually quite a bit more. It's one point quite a bit million. more. And it, oh yeah, my god! Yeah, I know so, it's it's been quite a ride, which I'll definitely talk about. <laughs> so we're at like one and a half million courses. You've raised multiple, I think, mean, million dollar rounds on Kickstarter. So let's get into what it's been like for you pivoting into being a, a a bit of an incredible entrepreneur here in the digital space. But but also how you pivoted out of music, how music helped you, and and how you're kind of pivoting back, and why why that's okay. You know, so let's get into it. Let's get to know you a little bit about your music and. Sure, sure. So yeah, so, you know, I have a composition degree and, uh, you know, play guitar and saxophone. Uh, but what what had happened was, is that, you know, at the end of my degree, I definitely wanted to fit, filter into video game music. And so, you know, I released several kind of electronic albums and in, in those albums that they had an algorithm uh, that would compose music on the spot here. But since I graduated in 2008, that was a very rough year to have graduated, right? Being with the global financial crisis and all. And uh, so for the next few years, it was it was quite rough. I tried to, to get a job and, you know, I had all this really cool stuff, but for a lot of other reasons, it just didn't quite work. And so, you know, come around 2010, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to just going to switch to coding because, you know, I had coding experience and, you know, for, for some of you who went to school with me, they don't act, I, you might not actually know, but I actually started coding when I was 12 and I went to like the U of C. Oh, wow. Yeah. I went to the U of C like coding camps and like, you know, that was in the nineties when there was like a dot-com boom. Well, and I was going to say not to age ourselves, but you know, everyone codes these days back then coding would have been very kind of unique. So how did you get into it back then even? What was the inspiration or were your parents just really kind of pushing you in the right direction or what? No, no, it was very, you're right. It was extremely not cool to go to <laughs> use your summer to go code. But, you know, um, I, I wanted to make a video game and my friends and I, you know, we all went together uh, to the coding camps and we we wanted to make a video game. And I wanted to make a really big video game in my my bedroom, but it didn't quite work. You can do that now. But like back in the 90s, it was just ne next to impossible. And that's kind of another thing that, that's happened here. But anyway, so like in high school, like the dot-com bust happened. And then like tech was just not in it. And I'm like, you know, if I'm better at music than programming, so I might as well go into music, right? Uh, you know, in retrospect, I maybe could have done a computer science minor, but it probably wouldn't have helped, which I'll kind of talk about in a minute here. Meanwhile, actually, when I was 18, I got a job teaching guitar lessons. And I taught 53 students a week. And I did that basically to support me through, through university. But, you know, flash forward to about 2010, I, I really, I made a, an Xbox 360 game. And I did that by uh, using an online course, right? And there was, there was only one online course out there that showed you how to build an Xbox 360 game. So luckily, I had some coding experience, but it was in a new language. And I had to like kind of redo everything. And so as soon as I made that Xbox 360 game, I got a ton of freelancing gigs, right? And this was 2010. And 2011, I, I produced a bunch of really small kind of iPhone apps. And then again, everyone that I showed my apps to, they're like, how, how do you do that? They did not care at all about the stuff I was making, right? They wanted to know how to do that. So I'm like, you know what? I've been teaching. I know how to code. I might as well make a course on it. 
And I heard about this small company called Udemy at the time, and I was one of the first people on it. And from there, I just kept on making more and more courses on web development, you know, app development, game development, all this cool stuff. And in 2016, I it was it was doing so well that I had to uh, I had to basically get employees. And now, uh, you know, I had about five employees. And then things kind of went up and then it went down and then COVID hit. And then that was a real big boom <laughs> for for, uh, for the e-learning segment. And then this year is going to be our best year ever, right? And there's, I, I, this is really good that, that uh, you reconnected with me because there's a lot of stuff I really want to talk about on how I was able to kind of pivot to something else and then still use my music background to get there. Because there's actually like a music degree is actually pretty good comparatively to other degrees. You know, like I just said, you know, getting a computer science minor, if I had gotten a computer science degree, like in started in 2004, ended in 2008, you know, it wouldn't have helped me as much as, you know, well, it probably could have helped me, but like a music degree was just as helpful. In fact, I like to say they were both equally good and not good at the same time because computers, you know, you can learn stuff. All the stuff I would have learned then would have been obsolete now, right? So you always kind of have to be relearning. I find that so interesting. And, you know, even looking back to episode like four of this podcast, I remember I talked to Daryl Caswell, who was uh, one of the first guests on the show, of course, but also really interesting guy. He's an engineer, but he's also a really good horn player. Do you know him? He's out in Calgary still. Yeah, I think I think I heard. Yeah. So but he'd said something like, you know, if you do something that's that's in the field, you'll kind of be pigeonholed there. And people love musicians because they have really great, great presentation skills. They can improvise. They can get out of a jam like they're innovative people. And they're exactly the kind of people you want in these sorts of jobs or, or career paths or innovative, um, you know, endeavors like being an entrepreneur. So I think it's just, it's awesome that you were able to do this, but it's also one of the things I kind of like about your story here. I think people can learn a lot from, because there's a lot of people who are down right now. They're down about their careers. They're down about their lack of careers. They're down about having to, you know, quote, give up music or whatever, but there's a real reality of, of pivoting and you don't just lose those skills overnight. So can you just talk about for maybe just those listeners who are kind of going through something like this themselves, like how did you have the confidence to just kind of leave that how it was, know that you can always come back to it, but kind of pursue bigger things and different things and feel okay about it? Yeah, no. So like, so the way that I, I look at it is that if you wanted to become a hockey player and you wanted to go to the NHL, right? You may have succeeded, you may not have, but you probably learned a whole bunch of stuff along the way. You know, you, you can think of your career like that too. You know, you had a lot of good times and then maybe you have to go do something else, right? And that something else doesn't have to be bad. It can be really good. So like one of the things I started doing was graphic design and like, you know, just a few things here and there. And then eventually, like if you're a small business person, you should probably learn graphic design because it, it really does help. But eventually, you know, I got really good at it and then I got a few freelancing gigs on it. So I started to kind of do things in my spare time. And then like six months, a year down the road, it's kind of turning and, it, you know, it's kind of turning a profit here. And the other thing you can do is like, you know, you already know how to get good at something like if you're if you're a classic specifically if you're a jazz musician or a classical musician it's very difficult to do those things right i don't think you might be like it might come natural to you and you might be really good at it but you already know how to become good at something so you just have to start something new and that that starting something new is really hard because you're so good at your instrument or whatever and then you're a beginner again right and it's really hard but you know what a lot of the things is like you don't have to be 
like an amazing graphic artist to get work, right? You don't have to be the best of the best of the best. Like if you're a concert pianist, right? You have to be the 0.0001% to get a job, right? Like if you're a graphic designer or if you're a coder, you don't have to be that 0.1%. You just have to, you have to do a really good job. And just like what you said, a lot of musicians have presentation skills. A big thing about getting a job is your soft skills. It's working with other people. And, you know, a lot of musicians are great to work with other people. So if you can just kind of get to up some to a semi-professional or even professional level of, of a new skill, you can probably turn that into something. Well, do you have a trick or a method or some kind of uh, way that you see opportunities? Because I imagine that it's one thing to like, have opportunities there, but it's another thing to notice them. And a lot of people let a lot of things kind of pass them by. And looking back, you can see the opportunity. I mean, I remember buying a book on iPhone coding back in 2009 myself. It sat on my shelf, eventually went to Goodwill. I actually, this is super funny. I bought it back from Goodwill. I bought a book from, I'm like, you know what? I should take that up again. It had my name in the front. <laughs> I was like, did it really? <laughs> it did. And, and I was like, you know, that was pretty dumb, but I never learned how to do the the coding um, for the iPhone apps and stuff. But, uh, but there was an opportunity for me. Like I, I, at the time, honestly, I could have figured that stuff out. I just didn't take the time. So how did you see these opportunities and, and actually seize them and, and move forward with them? And you continue to do that. I mean, you're moving to different platforms now. You've hired employees. You realize your workload's too much. Like you seem to be really good at identifying, I don't want to say areas of weakness, but areas of opportunity that you can then kind of, I don't want to say exploit, but <laughs> that's kind of your, you're, you're moving forward on the paths that work for you. And it's really a great trait. Absolutely. And yes, you do want to figure out your weaknesses too. That's actually a very good part of self-reflection. But yes. So you know how if you're teaching someone and you say, hey, if you just practice 15 minutes a day, every day, you're going to get somewhere. Well, you want to think of a new skill like that too. And the thing is, is like, you always want to be learning something new. And in the space of technology, things change very quickly, right? And at least, you know, it's been like this in the last 10 years, like mobile phone comes out, HTML5 comes out, VR, AR, as soon as there's like a new thing in technology, if you can get to, again, a semi-professional level and there's not enough people to do the work, then you can find at least something, right? You can do some consulting or something like that here. So the trick is to always learn something new. And, and if you learn something new, right, it is very you're not going to really throw that away. Like you do have to unlearn a few things as life goes on, right? Because you might have a had a bad teacher or, you know, whatever. But, you know, it, you will have to unlearn some things. But if you just constantly learn new things, you'll find that you'll have a whole repertoire of amazing skills that you can you can use. That's true. And so how do you find that, that specifically, you know, day to day that you are using your musical skills and now that you're kind of pivoting back into music, which maybe we'll talk about, how are you using all your newfound skills and abilities and entrepreneurial uh, methods kind of in the reverse. I, th I think people forget about that. They're worried they might give up on all their music skills, but you're going to learn so much else too. And it might give back. Maybe you'll market your music better. I mean, I did a survey recently, not to talk for five minutes before the question. <laughs> I did a survey recently and one feedback was you talk too much before the question. Um, but one other feedback was people were saying that of all the episodes, they love the ones that are like the, the, uh, you know, the soloists and stuff the most. And the music business ones were, were not quite as popular, but I really would challenge people like this is how people in this world today get out there. Everyone had to become a content creator during the pandemic, whether you wanted to or not. We were pushed into that, you know. And so uh, I guess nowadays people are realizing that it's a bit of an interplay and life is not just one stream anymore. You have to be good at all these things. If you can't use Zoom, you can't get by in the world, <laughs> you know. So how have you found that all of your since you kind of pivoted out of music for a while, all this stuff, how does it kind of give back and vice versa? 
Yeah. So like, I guess I can give you a really good example. So let's say you make YouTube videos, which you should totally do, right? YouTube is a great way to just kind of put yourself out there. And not only that, just get a whole bunch of details. So let's say you want to set up, like, let's say you're playing a clarinet, for example, and you have two cameras instead of just your webcam, right? So you can do some editing. Maybe you can put the score up there. And then when you edit it, you have to make the thumbnail right? Those are three skills that I just showed you, like cameras, editing, and then and, and design, right? And if you look, and if you do that enough, and you kind of look through how to get better at each one of those things, eventually you become really good at it, right? Like, let's say if you produce one video a week, you and it doesn't have to be like a whole concerto or something. It could be, hey, look at this cool part from this thing, right? It could be two minutes, and then you can put that up every week. That actually does really well on YouTube. Uh, but you know, you you now have video editing and graphic design in your repertoire. Hey, some you might be able to put up on your website that you do this for other musicians, right? And they'll pay you money to do that, right? And then if you can get some views, you can do some YouTube SEO. And that's three skills that you now have, right? And so, and then let's say you do that and you actually find yourself a niche of getting into, you know, making videos for other musicians. Well, maybe my make videos for non-musicians, right? Other creative professionals. Or maybe there's like, I don't know, a small business in your neighborhood that needs a YouTube video, right? You can go there, set it up, and then you can get paid a bunch of money to do it, right? So it starts off with music, but it eventually branches out. And sometimes it ends up way farther away from music, but you might have you might have a lot more money in the bank account, which is always quite nice, but you but you also might have, you know, a, a little business that you can do. And the other thing that at least, you know, I used to, like in university, I don't know if you remember, you probably did this too, but like I would wake up at six and then stay there the whole day. And so I like, I did music the entire day. It's nice to take a break from it sometimes. You know, it, you, you, there's nothing wrong with taking like a month break from music nothing it's one thing i enjoyed about the the schedule like i often reflect on my times in university i really had fun i really enjoyed myself but one thing i loved about university was the eight months on four months off i really needed that pacing to life and the fact that real life doesn't work that way is sometimes a real drag absolutely <laughs> because i love that kind of two stage to a year and it felt so i'm envious of people who continue that as, as like professors and stuff but that is a really nice flow you know two-thirds on a third off and if you want you can keep it on but at least it's still different like you can pivot to doing some kind of uh, people would go to summer camps or summer festivals or whatever you call them and and uh or a lot of band teachers i know even they go off and do conducting workshops and things and and uh some of them do other jobs just to take a break but i think it's healthy to take a little bit what do they say uh if you love it let it go if it returns it's yours to be or whatever <laughs> yeah that's a very good way of putting it here and so like you know come 2010 or 11 i just quit music altogether and i like i didn't touch my instruments for 10 years right and it was just before the pandemic i bought myself a new guitar and i started playing again and then i actually really like it i you know i think uh you know i play it before i go to bed and, you know, I'll probably be starting a YouTube channel here, you know, just based on my compositions, right? And just kind of posting that one video a week. It could be a riff here or it could be, it, it doesn't have to be big. But one of the things that that I think by posting on YouTube is a good idea. If you haven't done it, you should definitely do it. But, you know, it keeps, it. it YouTube kind of is it, like a sculpture. You can, it, it stays there and you can come back to it five or 10 years. And the other thing, is that let's say you you start this video editing business and you sell it. Well, you can always have your YouTube channel and go back to that in your retirement, right? You can always come back to that, you know? And 
on top of that, if you're looking for like any kind of success, any kind of success is good. Well, for the most part, at least, right? Like, if I, but if I if I you know release a uh, you know a riff on my guitar or it's a funny video and it gets a million views, that puts a lot of light onto my other business, right? And you might get a ton of leads. So the other thing when you have a business is if you if you have all that stuff set up and a bunch of skills and services, if you ever do get that light, then you'll be able to monetize it much better, right? No, I totally agree, and I think that it's uh, the whole world kind of during the pandemic here did awaken to this online realm because we kind of had to. And I think that some people really found it challenging. I know for me, I have found social media very challenging. I basically just gave up on it and moved away from it. But the other elements are very rewarding and interesting. Like I find, you're right, YouTube, um, the online courses. I mean, I've never done that yet. You've been pushing me for a while. I really should. (laughs) Um, But for me, obviously, podcasting, um, this has been a real mainstay for me. But but, uh, it's been something that, like you said, I did not know when I went to school back in those days that I would be running a podcast for for clarinetists and that almost everyone that I talked to would kind of know about it. And it's it's crazy. I'll get emails all the time from someone in you know Hawaii or whatever that they listen to the show and want to come on. And I'm like, this is crazy to me, you know. But I also just use those skills that I kind of had in my back pocket. Like, oh, well, no one's talking about this. Why not me? Let me try it. And And I think that you do have to be okay, though, with not doing things well at first in front of other people. But again, music helps you with that, right? So my first podcast episodes, I think they're cringeworthy. Like I'm talking too quietly and they're, the interviews aren't as good as they are now and everything's just bad. But I had to do the bad to get the good, you know, and it's just the way that life works in, in so many instances. So and just for the listeners, too. So you, like you're a great guitar player. So it's, it's interesting to me to hear that you were able to go cold turkey for a while and really focus on something else. What was that like mentally? Like, did you have any kind of like because a lot of people identify as their instruments it's kind of weird but like I am a clarinetist I am the clarinet (laughs) you know so when you take that away suddenly you feel kind of different or less of a person or you have no identity how did you handle that yeah so you know at least from 2008 to 2011 it was it was extremely frustrating because I had such good like like such a good product of the algorithms and and all this other stuff and it was just I I just was kind of upset with the whole music world, <laughs> right? And then it's it's kind of funny because now, like it like it was probably around 2016 where I started to notice there's a lot of these YouTubers. They're getting lots of views and making lots of money. And I'm like, hmm, right? You know, and it didn't make sense for me because I was running my business at the time to be like, well, this guy's a tech CEO. Wait a minute. Why is he playing guitar, right? But, you know, now it's it's the way that, I like to look at it is that, you know, there's, there's people that like run marathons. Well, I just do this in my spare time. And uh, there's a big YouTuber, Marcus Brownlee, actually. Uh, yeah, he plays ultimate Frisbee, right? And like that, like he played like professionally. And so, so you can, you can, be, if you're really good at something, like let's say you're a virtuoso violin player, right? Well, you know, you can maybe start a small business and then have, do that on the side and then be like, wow. And then if someone comes across your playing, they're like, wow. That is some amazing violin playing, right? You know, you don't lose any points. It has to be good though, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just making sure I have the right format and then the, that the playing is up to snuff here. Because taking 10 years off was, I was extremely rusty. Well, you know what it reminds me of too, though? Do you know that actor that played in Dexter? What was his name? Michael C. Hall, right? 
I found out that not only is he a fantastic like Broadway uh, like singer and, and actor, he actually did the David Bowie um, live versions of some of his albums. Or there's like a David Bowie opera or something. I haven't really checked it out yet, honestly, but I should because I'm getting into a lot of Bowie stuff. But um, he's also in like a rock band that does covers and it's like on the side he does some great stuff you find out more and more of these people have really interesting musical hobbies as hugh laurie from house md he is a great singer he has his own album and you're right i imagine that funding your musical projects is a lot easier when you're 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 quite a successful business person or of an actor on tv i mean you don't need any marketing your name's already out there and you can push it through the networks and and you know the right people and yeah never forget about who you kind of know along the way too so you, you know you talked about kind of the sculpture of music and the sculpture of building sculptures. You want to go into that a little more, that kind of mindset? Yeah. So like, you know, so I've, I've written a lot of compositions in, in university and I have a lot of them that are unreleased, but so I can just make a channel, play them like an arrangement. Right. And then it's there. Now let's say I, I make one of these videos and it gets 120 views. Now, of course on YouTube, you're like, well, that's just not very good. But what if you played it for 120 people? Like, if you think of it like that, you're like, hey, that's 120 people that actually watch my stuff, right? And if you release, a, if you're consistent with your style and you release things over time, then, you know, you'll come back to them and people will come back to music because music is is timeless, right? You know, as long as it's, as long as it's good, you'll, people will come back to it. And maybe 10 years from now, five years from now, it'll blow up for some reason. Some For some reason, people will just love it. And then you now all of a sudden have a booming music channel and you can just hire all the musicians you wanted to ever work with to make projects. I mean, that would be my dream is to like maybe do one or two songs a year with all the people that I love and respect, right? You know, that would be great. Well, it's funny you say that because I actually went back to my YouTube channel recently and I'm like, how is some of that old stuff I recorded in university doing? And it's actually amazing because I... I don't want to say like I gave up music myself, but I did have this injury. So I had to for a while and then we have kids and the pandemic. And, but also I kind of gave up the music I truly liked too. I spent about 10 years playing for churches and orchestras and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And it's not that I don't like orchestral music, but you think you're going to become an orchestral player. But if I really think of my interests when I was in university, I loved like new music, minimalism, Terry Riley, Philip Glass, Arvo Parrott, all this stuff. I was really into that stuff. And, uh, I should kind of get back into it because I looked and some of those videos have like 150,000 views. And I was like, my God, that's several football stadiums of people have listened <laughs> to that song or that piece or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I, I just was kind of struck. I was like, my God, this is a lot of people. So clearly there was a demand for this. I should maybe pursue that path again. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, look into some of this music again. And and it was kind of crazy, though, that we're talking about the numbers. Like if you even to look at it, you're like, oh, 150,000, meh. Mr. Beast has 32 million. Well, that is amazing. And everyone knows who Mr. Beast is. But 150,000 is nothing to scoff at. 150, like you said, is still a gymnasium full of people. I think it's a good mindset. You've got such a positive kind of frame of mind. Like, do you meditate? Do you eat right? Do you, what do you do? <laughs> you you, you want to think of things as, okay. So like whenever we, t like, especially in classical music, right? If I don't write a song that lasts for the next, that's timeless for the next 250 years, I failed as a musician. Like that's just too high of a bar to set here. So it sounds, it, well, it sounds kind of bad, but like, if you think of things more like the glass half full, it will be a lot better. But you know what, you know, I, I'm not talking about my business, but there was actually a point in time where my business has made year over year, 
And then for about 16 months, it didn't. And it was it was rough, right? My business profits went down 30%. And the reason was, is we took too long to build a product that was in the wrong direction. And so that's the, the other thing, like sidebar from that, if you just do like, you know, if you get in the habit of releasing a YouTube video once a week on anything, it could be a little passage here or a little, a little something there. Funny stuff tends to do well on YouTube. So if you have, if you have a joke that you want to, that that's also good as well. But like, so I had like, it was, it was not good. And I had to rethink everything and now it's better than ever. Right. But you know, it, it is tough to be positive all the time. <laughs> Right, it is really hard, but you just have to realize that if if something's not going right, you should just take a step back and maybe try something else, right? And that goes into with the fifteen minutes a day kind of thing. Like if if you know, hey, you're not getting enough gigs as you want, then maybe try something else for a little bit. You just spend a little bit of time, and in six months, a year from now, you might have a new income stream. That's great. And and you know, a lot of musicians are entrepreneurs. In fact, I don't know if I could have built the business without going through the path that I did, right? Because one of my favorite entrepreneurs is a musician as well. And his name is Derek Sivers. And I don't know if anybody else knows him, but he founded a company called CD Baby and he has a blog and books and I cannot recommend his stuff enough. I've learned a lot about business through him. It's very practical stuff. Like, you know, if the customer's angry, just give them a few extra things, right? Like it's really easy stuff, but the way he does it is so good. And he actually has a really good book on music too. So you definitely want to check out Derek Sivers stuff, but he's also really positive. And, you know, I try to lead by example. And I realize that a lot of the best entrepreneurs are are really positive too, even when like sales are down and, you know, it, it, it can be tough, right? We've all been there. Yeah. No, I love that. It, it is tough though. I find that the hardest thing about trying to be positive is because, you know, I did for a while get into a fairly negative bent about things, but it's your surroundings too. Like a lot of people for some reason gravitate towards that. And so when you're trying to be positive, you can come across as like fake or faking it till you're making it or whatever. But that is really how things work though, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it really is. It's, I can't remember who said this, but you fake it till you make it, then you become it. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I'll use e-learning as an example, like 12 years ago, nobody knew what a, a tutorial or a course was an online course was. Now I happen to have one of the best teachers that taught me Xbox coding, right. And X and A and C sharp. He was one of the pioneers of the industry. So I had a pretty good uh, thing on what to do. But like my first videos were terrible, right? So bad, like problems every which way, right? And so, you know, it, it's it's a learning process for everyone. But I love how you just said like, grab things and go with them too. It's so interesting. I remember when I was still living at this house that of course everyone in UFC would know from that era was like this place we called the Varsity Mansion because all the parties happened there and everyone went there after Wind Ensemble and whatever. So, but you came over with your CD right after you graduated. I think it was about 2008. And uh, I was like, this is so crazy. Like he just went out and made his own CD. And that's how I learned about CD Baby actually is because you had been selling it on there too. And But you were, you're so good at finding like the bleeding edge of what's coming somehow. And so without giving too much away, I mean, what are you on to now? Like what is leading you? What directions are you being pulled in? What do you see the next five years holding and like, where are you pivoting your business? And if you can share these things, if not. I <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So like there's, there's always opportunity. And the way that I like to think of opportunity is you look for where there's little supply, 
right? Uh, for whatever reason, like, you know, there's supply and demand. But if there's a few, if there's a few people that are doing it, I find that it's, it's, it's easier to get in, right? Like if there's only so many coders that can code in this one framework and that framework happens to be on the new edge, then you should probably do something about it. But like, you know, for, for me personally, I always like to think of success as a wheel. Okay. And there was a time actually when I got my big break in 2012, 2013, and I took like, what's going on here? You know, is this what I really want to do? And I realized that I had to do other things other than just create courses. Right. And I would just do things and like no monetary gain. I would just do something whether I wanted to or not. It, it could have been anything. It could be graphic design. It could be 3D modeling. Doesn't matter what it is. Right. I have to do that. And so I'm always trying to think of, and I always look at where uh, you, you spend some time and it doesn't take that long to just kind of look at some where the trends are going and see what works here. Now at my business, I have a portion and I dedicate a portion of my time and my money to finding out new ideas, right? And trying something new. In fact, I have, uh, actually I have more than one company, but like on Kickstarter, I have my courses and then I have a SaaS company as well. And actually the recent one, as of this video that's ending today, didn't do very well, right? So, you know, and some people might think of a failure as like, I'm done, you know, I'm not gonna do this here, but you have to, you have to constantly try new things. And if it doesn't work, you realize why and then do a next project better. And you, you have to do that or else you could go out of business, right? And you, and if you're thinking of your career, like a creative career, which is really what a lot of these, uh, what a lot of people have. In fact, when I was like around 2009, when I was like really struggling to just like apply to jobs and get that get job here, I, I came across some people who are web developers as well. And like, they would make websites for musicians and they would make a ton of money doing this, right? And so, you know, they had a skill that you know they could easily exploit you know that you, you want to think of your creative career as having multiple avenues right like as a business owner i have multiple streams of income and if you want to be an entrepreneur then you should have at least one or two you know it, it, outside of music because it might just lead to something better you never know well it's funny too how many musicians will focus on they want to be a performer let's say or they want to be a teacher but they're doing so they're already doing so much other kind of things if you think about it like teaching music workshops teaching lessons doing orchestral gigs or chamber music or like these weddings all this kind of stuff is all actually quite different and even if you sort of reframe your musical endeavors like if you want to stay in music i think that there's still a benefit to learning these entrepreneurial skills because if you're better at marketing weddings than the next person you're going to get more wedding gigs, <laughs> you know? And I actually know there's a local uh, group of people that are putting together a lot of concerts lately, um, kind of this like music by candlelight or whatever. I think it's a franchise now. But I mean, I always see the ads on Facebook. They've figured out Facebook advertising. They're, they know you're a fan of Coldplay. Well, they're doing a Coldplay concert um, of Coldplay covers. And you know what? That might not be your cup of tea, but you know what? People are paying for that. And, and just like how you said, I mean, one of the nice things that I think modern musicians have the opportunity for, but often miss out on, is to have money coming in. <laughs> you know, I don't think people have to live this kind of pained existence if they if they are able to do the kind of work that society wants to see, in addition to their other work, perhaps, you know. But if you think back, even the greats like Handel, Bach, a lot of these people were working for a religious institution or some other kind of system, like Handel, for example. Wasn't he, he working amongst a system where he basically had to just churn out music? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, do you think he enjoyed every moment of that? I don't think so. Uh, we might enjoy all of his pieces now, but a lot was probably also lost to time. Bach, I mean, would famously just improvise too for, for, for church for hours on end. And 
I, I, I highly doubt that these people actually looked at every single note as like this, <laughs> what we look at it at perhaps now. Um, so I don't know, maybe there's some, some benefit to kind of seeing it that way too. And uh, do you have any kind of resources? I mean, even to push your own courses a bit, like are there any courses you have on like entrepreneurial um, self-development or things like that? Or is it, is it mostly coding and, and learning kind of online stuff? You know, it's really funny. Um, I do have a course on that, by the way. Uh, and uh, and it's kind of funny because it, it wasn't one of my more successful ones. But, you know, just going back to like, let's say like if you're a musician now, you should definitely put out a course, right? You should absolutely like if, if you're a, it doesn't matter what it is, you, you can just do it. Right. And if you get really good at that, then you might be able to help out other people for it. Right. And there you go. There's a whole other business. Because if you went through a process, other people want to go through that process as well. And sometimes, like, the way that a lot of musicians think is, like, you got to go through all this stuff. And then once you're here, you're finally capable of doing everything under. But sometimes you could just be, like, five steps ahead and you help people out, right? Because, like, online learning is just about getting people, just helping people out. And if you can give them really good advice, that's exactly what it is. But you definitely want to have, you know, an online course for what you're doing. And, you know, if you do Skype lessons. Like if I were, if I were today and I really wanted to focus on guitar lessons, I'd have a website. I'd be producing kind of like funny content. I'd be producing, you know, my, uh, like, uh, just like I'd put out some more serious content. I'd have my website with all the links to all these different kind of packages. And some of these packages might be a little bit more expensive than what you'd expect them to be and an online course. And then that's how I, I would build my business today. And you, and you should do that too. And, you know, for me personally, I just felt like I really wanted to go in that direction and then it ended up work, working out for me. Right. But, you know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to go in a completely different direction. You can just maybe do a few things here and there. Uh, just going back to like the YouTube thing, right? You know, people do things in their spare time. Like it, what if, if you ask yourself, if you had like another kind of stream of income that took up most of your day and you produced some really amazing art videos on YouTube, like, would that necessarily be that bad, right? Like, would you, would you, would you miss? Yeah. Is your life going to get better or worse? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Like, as long as it's not like, you know, kind of offensive, you're, you're probably. You're <laughs> Even probably then, some good. people might like it. Who knows, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Right. <laughs> but, you know, if you, if you produce something, if you produced, I don't know, one really amazing video for year, per year. And you did that over the next 20 years, that's 20 amazing videos, right? If you did it two a year, that's 40 videos. It's kind of like banking your, uh, kind of like banking your progress. And YouTube is so great because it archives it automatically. Well, someone recently is a realtor that I watch and follow on. He has really great video content. Um, I follow him on Instagram, but he recently posted something too that was like, have you People ask him, have you done the whatever 90 day challenge, which is where you do like a piece of content and you go to the gym and you eat clean every day for like 90 days. And he's like, no, I do the challenge of what can I sustain always? And <laughs> for him, that means like four videos a month and he does them really, really well. They get a ton of views, but he knows if he pushes past that, he's not going to be able to do them anymore. So what's the point of the 90 day challenge if you can't sustain it, right? And uh, I don't know, I kind of disagree because there's there's something to be said to fo a focused amount of kind of time and effort, you know, into something, right? But sort of back to the opportunities you're talking about, just nailing them down. I mean, I remember I had a, a weird instance once where I had this kid who was taking clarinet lessons and the, the brother or the sister, I think it was a sister actually, wanted to learn some guitar. And she said, the mom said at my house, oh, well, we really uh, enjoy the lessons and I uh, do you play guitar. And I said, well, no, I don't, sorry. And oh, well, I mean, 
can't you just get a guitar and stay a few pages ahead of my daughter? I mean, we really like you. They love working with you. They, they pretty much just want to hang out and learn some music and have a good time. And we want to pay you an extra half hour. Like, what's the problem? And I was like, what is the problem? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that's how I got into guitar. And uh, I'm at the point now, I'm not a great guitar player still, but you know what? I knew more than that little girl who really liked me and wanted to learn from me. And I was able to get her started on guitar. There was a point where I said, look, I mean, I can't do this anymore. You're going to have to find somebody else. And they did. Um, but you got to recognize those opportunities when they come, I suppose. And look where it gets people, you know, like I have a lot of fun playing guitar now and bass and I'm doing some songwriting and, and it's been fun. Yeah. This has been a really interesting conversation. I'm really, I'm really glad that we had it. And, uh, it's funny. I don't think I've seen you a few years since, since you moved, um, over to Victoria there, but next time you're back in Calgary, we'll we will definitely have to keep in touch. So absolutely. Is there some more that you want to address that I maybe didn't ask for the listeners that, that, uh, you have a burning desire to share. <laughs> <laughs> no, all I can say is that, like you know, at least as an entrepreneur, I'm always trying to clear my mind and think simple. The best entrepreneurs have like a really simple process, and they think so clearly. And you know, that's something that you might want to think of too. With you, that that's a really good example. Hey, if someone wants to pay you for guitar lessons, you just got paid to learn a new skill. That's how I looked at it. Yeah, and so I would just say, you know, just tr- always try to think clearly about any kind of situation. And if an opportunity presents itself, a lot of people start a business by just saying yes, and they have no idea what they're doing, right? (laughs) That is way more common than you'd expect it to be. And so why not give it a shot? And worst case scenario is you have a lot more money. And if you produce some stuff in, in your free time, then you have those sculptures to look back on in your life. I love it. So where can people check out your stuff online? Um, You've got several websites, I think, but is it mammothinteractive.com? And what's your Udemy name or handle? Yeah, so you can just go to mammothinteractive.com. That's probably the best place to go. Um, You can take a free coding course if you want (laughs) on Python. It's a 30-minute course. And then if you want to follow up what Mammoth Interactive is doing, just at Mammoth Company on Twitter. And that's probably the best thing to do. Awesome. I always want to ask you, how did the Mammoth come about? Hmm. Yeah. So I've always liked mammoths. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I guess I kind of liked it and it's, it's kind of big. So I guess it's also big and bold, right? So, you know, you always want to kind of incorporate your marketing to the product. So if you want to make a big, bold change with your life and you can buy a big, bold mammoth course. Yeah, right? what, you know, I like it. I like it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, hope you do check out his website. There's of course, lots of new skills you can learn on there. And uh, thank you so much today, John, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Clarinet Podcast. If you did enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube. As I mentioned, the show is going to be sort of shifting over to YouTube with a live version. You can check out that live version of the podcast and get a free 30-day trial, which will include two live conversations with amazing guests and also a Clarinet Book Club conversation by using code LIVE at checkout at clarinet.com slash live. I said live so many times there. I'll say it one more time. <laughs> Clarinet.com slash live. Use code live at checkout to get your first 30 days free. And uh, so today's podcast episode was brought to you, of course, by those who support the show on Patreon. You can still do that if you wish, but also those who are currently subscribed on the website. So thank you to those who are supporting the production of the show and getting to enjoy those live episodes at the same time. I mentioned the book club briefly. The May read for the book club was Victor Wooten's A Music Lesson, which was uh, really fun. Uh, the, the Music Lesson, actually. Actually, really fun book. Um, and this month I'm doing the inner game of 
Tennis by Timothy Galloway. I did read and then interview the author of The Inner Game of Music a few years ago. So uh, I, I do believe, actually, I read this book back then, about five years ago, but I'm going to touch on it again. Uh, it was recommended by Andy Simon from the Hong Kong Philharmonic. He sent in a message and uh, said, hey, Leon Rushinoff used to have all his students read this. So this should be the next book club read. And I definitely cannot disagree with Leon Rushinoff. So have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to Clarinet and enjoy the free lightning round on today's episode. So, John, what is your first musical memory? Looking way back now. My first musical <laughs> memory. Well, you know what? My uh, my mom had this big old Ibanez guitar and I and she just like you just stay in the living room and I've always wanted to play it. And so I picked it up one day and I tried to play it and I didn't. <laughs> and so and then after that, I discovered the Beatles and it was awesome. So I'd say those are my two two memories. I love it. What piece of music or album or performance changed your life most profoundly? Oh, there's so many, so many. But uh, my 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 favorite album of all time is Liquid Tension Experiment Two. So that's uh you know from the super group. If Dream Theater type people know of that, it's absolutely incredible. But yeah, no, that's that's probably my favorite album. Do you know that I once went to a master class with the uh, drummer who now plays in? No Dream way, Theater? really. Met him in Mike Mangini. I met him in person, and he showed me like paradiddles and stuff like that at Mother's Music in Calgary back in like 1998 or wow. something. Very cool. He went on to be the drummer for Dream Theater, so that's super cool. You have a lot of positivity, and uh, what is something that you do every day that you feel contributes most to your success? Do you have like a morning routine or? certain thing you put in your coffee or a certain amount of sleep. What is it? Well, sleep is good. Uh, but you know what? I actually, um, just keeping healthy is, is also a, a good thing too. Like keeping your body healthy. I'm eating less, which is also good. And then I also bike to work. Um, I have an office where I not away from the kid, I'm away from the kids so I can actually get stuff done, but that also helps too. keeping active, you know, maybe eating a little bit less sweets <laughs> and then, you know, I do drink coffee. So that's also been there too. <laughs> Gets you going. <laughs> I've been doing some of that fasting too, and it's uh, it's actually surprisingly beneficial. I don't know. It's really it's really it's weird how energizing it can be not to eat. I never I never believed that, but it actually does happen. Your body gives you like a kick or something. Yeah. What book? And it sounds like it might be the one from Derek Sivers, but um, which book would you recommend most to musicians and why? Yeah, the, I can't. I think it's called. I can't remember the Derek Sivers one, but if you're looking for a musician, music type book, I would, I would recommend that book. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. CD baby was such a huge thing and it still is. Cause they figured out a way to kind of publish to shop or um, to Spotify. Oh, do they? Well, that's how I published my album. I used CD baby to get it on to Spotify and iTunes and everything like that. That was back in like 2016. Now I'm, I'm sure they still do it, but unfortunately they closed their CD store a couple years ago. Yes. Yes. Which was kind of the end of an era for, for sure for that. So what's your dream car? If you could own any car, what would it be? You have a bike. So I assume you still have a car. Yeah, yeah I do have a car. <laughs> oh man. A dream car. I don't know. I've never really thought of that. I'm not really too much of a car guy myself, but you know, huh? I don't ask that question so much because I find musicians are sometimes very practical. Like one person said, the one that will fit my bass clarinet in the trunk. Yeah, that's a really like, good answer. Like, Honestly, I drive a Honda yeah. CRV and I absolutely love it. So like that's the level of car that I'm at. Actually, here, here's my dream car. So I would drive a Cybertruck model, but that's like a crossover. So you know how like mm. the Cybertruck has its aesthetic? Well, imagine if like an SUV had that same aesthetic and it had like all, yeah, that that's what I would try to drive. I, I agree. That's such a cool. When that first came out right away, I was like, that is cool. And then it was supposed to be released by now, but it 
never did come out. So I don't know what happened with no, that. I absolutely love that model. So yeah, I did, if there's ever a cyber lineup, you'll see me driving a, a crossover at some point. <laughs> awesome. I love it. And what is something about you? And there's been a lot that we've learned and you've done a lot of cool stuff and interesting stuff and pivoted all over the place. But what is something about you or something that you have done that I would just never think to guess? Well, you probably didn't know I coded when I was 12. So <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So, it's yeah, so I, I don't think a lot of people knew that I had a lot of coding experience going into university. And there was just like a lot of things in high school, which kind of pointed me to music. But, you know. Yeah, so that's probably the thing. I, I've been coding for uh, since like 1997. <laughs> that that is actually really crazy. It's um, I don't think people today can understand how rare that was back then. Yeah, you know, it, most people in 1997. I know exactly what I was doing. I was playing Goldeneye yeah. and, <laughs> with my friends in their basement, and uh, but yeah, I just never came across the coding back then. It would have been such a definitely was not part of school curriculum. No, absolutely not. I mean, I did take it in high school, which I was lucky enough to have one. But fun, actually, here's a fun fact. I failed my last coding test in high school and I just never took it again because I'm like, meh. (laughs) You know, there's always that kind of story with successful people, though. You know, they just some element of it back in the day. It just made me think, though, do you think your career would have been different had you started all of your Xbox stuff? more in this era because this era now xbox and other game systems there is a lot more of an indie culture isn't absolutely there? so like you know when i started doing this like in 2008 like that's that might as well have been 1908 right it, it, well maybe not 1908 <laughs> 1978 right 38 yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> right it was a long time ago and uh because was, you know it, there's a lot that's changed there like i remember buying an engine for a thousand dollars Right. And it, and I was this close to buying either Unity or this other engine. And it was just a waste of money. Right. But that other engine was like really good. And it was like one of the top ones at the time. Right. It, and like Unity from today compared to what it was back then was like nowhere near of what it could do or where it could even export to. Like now you can just make a game and export it to like iPhone, Android, PC, Mac push of a button, you're good to go. But back then it was so difficult. And so it's a lot, it's a lot more, uh, it's a lot more open now, but in answer to your point now, the thing is, is that it was kind of graduated at a really weird time because YouTube was just taking off. You couldn't really make money on YouTube, right? In 2008 to 2011, like you could get a lot of views, but like pretty much no. And then, but, but somewhere around 2016, things changed. You could actually make a lot of money being a YouTuber. And if I was maybe a few years older, I might've stuck with music or might've not gotten to music at all. Who knows? Right. But you know, nowadays it's a lot, it's a lot clearer path. If you want to be a YouTube star, you do this, 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 and this, but in 2008 to 2011, it was not that, that obvious. Well, things are so simple now too, because I remember my, my recitals, I guess I did three of them for more, more reasons than I can explain right now, but 2007, 2008, 2009, I did recitals those three years. And what ended up happening was that I was interested in YouTube back then. YouTube, 2005, it came out, right? So it was like two years old. And, but back then to get something on YouTube was a significant effort. Like I had to go rent a, a movie camera from the IMSLP lab or whatever it was called at the university there and, and go up and talk to Anthony and buy some tapes at the bookstore. And, and really it was a lot of prep and I'd set this thing up and I had to go up at intermission and switch the tape because it was going to run out. I mean, nowadays people just put up their iPhone. They can create 4K content. Yeah. You know, and uh, so it was quite a significant effort to make these these videos to put on YouTube and people thought I was crazy. But looking back, like, I'm really glad that I did it. And it's surprising the way things went. But it was just such a weird, odd world back then. You're right. None of this tech. We I don't think we could have imagined the direction it would go in. It's really become 
sort of crazy in that in that sense. So anyway, well, I will uh, respect your time here, and and it's really great to talk with you though. And and next time you're back in Calgary, do let me know, and we'll uh, we'll have a bit of a chat, and and hopefully this interview is received well by all the listeners out there who are gonna be, I'm, I'm sure, starting up their own <laughs> courses now. The competition is firing up out there for clarinet courses as we yeah, speak. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I highly recommend you do that, in, no matter what you do. And if you learn new skills, you can always make a course on that new on new skill too. It's it's honestly a lot of it is just being two steps ahead, like your your guitar thing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely.